Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, podcast, communications platform, advocacy program that advocates for the integration of sexual health and mental health resources. As you know, this was born as a suicide prevention awareness resource for people living with HSV and has evolved and began to incorporate and bring light to the misinformation and the lack of transparent information that we receive from our sex education and we advocate for a lot of what you'll find in the kink and bdsm communities uh negotiations to be taught earlier things like consent boundaries body autonomy how to say no how to receive a no and how to recognize a yes how to identify abuse or healthy relationships how to cultivate healthy relationships how to set uphold and honor the boundaries of not only yourself but also others and to be able to seek out resources in the event that something goes wrong which is essentially what this is it's a sexual communications platform so um yeah if you want to donate visit venmo or or Cash App at Courtney Brain, which is just my first and last name all together. Or you can donate via PayPal at paypal.com slash SPFPP. And I don't think I've said this in months, but we also have a Patreon account, but you don't get anything on Patreon. In fact, they just take a little bit off the top from whatever donations come in monthly, but um, it's a set it, forget it type thing. Uh, we are still paying for people to get therapy if they're in the states of our therapists. Um, and then, yeah, I talk to everybody who reaches out. So, um, yeah, if you're curious about where your donations go or if you want them to go to a specific place or cause or a resource, don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. We can make that happen. All right. Today I'm here with Julian. Julian, um, you reached out to me through the website, which was great. And lets me know that it's working and people are able to find it and uh, see it. And uh, I'm really pumped that you were open to sharing your story because um, I feel like I got to do a lot of selling to people on getting them to do it and convince them that it can be anonymous and the value of their story and just being able to give to whoever finds their episode the same thing that they've gotten out of listening to other episodes so um we can honestly just start with uh with whatever you want to say about yourself as far as an introduction and then how'd you find me thank you so much courtney yeah my name's julian i'm 33 years old i was born and raised in philadelphia um i found you um on the podcast application, I was diagnosed less than a month uh, less than a month ago. Uh, it's been traumatic. Um, you know, I I saw resources right away because you know I I I'm an addict. I'm in recovery. Um, I've identified trauma before, um, and as soon as this. Uh, this started uh, to happen at the beginning of May of 2022, um, I started to spiral out with my mental health. So, um, yeah, there was a, there was an episode, uh, I was, you know, I was getting misdiagnosed. Um, and then I finally went to my primary care office, uh, where I got some, uh, some tests done, a PCR swab, and then I got some blood drawn. And um, 
on May 20th, my doctor called me and said that I was diagnosed with uh, HSV2. So uh, it's been a real nightmare. And uh, I started to um, just seek uh, help from other people and uh, my support group right away. And then I came across your website and um, I have been listening to it probably for two weeks straight. You know, I deliver food out of my car. I'm, I'm currently uh, door dashing in Philadelphia uh, as a means to make income. And it, it was just a perfect opportunity just to listen to you and the people you have on your podcast. It's been tremendously helpful. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I guess where you are right now, like this is new, new. Um, I don't think I've interviewed anybody who's been this freshly diagnosed. Uh, so at any point, if you need to take care of yourself, if you need to call time out, just make the gesture. I'll pause it. And ain't nobody got to even know we did it. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Courtney. I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. So what did uh, reaching out to your support group look like? Because it sounds like you knew you needed that right away. Yeah, I'm very close to my parents. Um, you know, I was... When the outbreak started to happen, I, I, you know, there were, there were clues of, you know, this, this looks so suspicious, like, and then, and then the symptoms came and, and, um, I panicked, you know, I went to, believe it or not, the first place I went to was, uh, Planned Parenthood and, uh, I got a physical, um, examination and they, uh, they misdiagnosed me for folliculitis like a skin rash it's like a irritation of the follicles of the skin and um, you know that's the the answer I wanted to hear because in the back of my mind I believed it was herpes but I didn't want to believe it almost like I was in denial so I was misdiagnosed and you know I know my body so well Courtney um, I like to believe I'm a very healthy man and I've been playing sports for 20 plus years you know, um, but, you know, the lymphatic, the, my lymphatic system started to um, react. I, I felt on the left side of my groin, my lymph nodes just on fire, you know, and um, um, at this point, I'm, I'm going insane on the Internet. You know, I'm, I'm looking for anything other than herpes, which have similar symptoms, you know, praying for the best and. Um, everything in my gut was pushing me back to um, herpes simplex virus. So I, I, um, the, the symptoms got worse and I went to another um, healthcare facility, an urgent care with another physical examination. And he believed what Planned Parenthood said. The same thing. I think it's folliculitis. I think it'll go away on its own. I'll just give it a week or two. And so I was misdiagnosed twice. And um, and then the symptoms just progressed, I say, to like May 15th. And then I, I just said, screw this. I drove probably 45 minutes to my primary where two doctors examined me. Um, and they told me on the spot that it, you know, it's herpes. So they swabbed it, gave me blood, and it came back positive. So, um yeah, I just want to share that in particular because that was kind of how it all unfolded. All right. Thank you for sharing. 
Uh, this is interesting timing because I had a, uh, I work at, uh, well, I guess I can say it now. It's been like six months. I work at Oregon Health and Sciences University. And one of my roles is as a standardized patient. And what we do is we read a script of kind of a patient overview. And I go in and I act like that patient to the person who's in whatever year they are of medical school and they come in and they take a history, they try to find out what's wrong and little do they know they're being graded on how I feel as the patient interacting with them. Part of the case was that I saw another doctor who gave me a diagnosis of something and this this was something for back pain. And when I told this doctor, they said, oh, well, I don't think the doctor was being dismissive to what you thought it was. Uh, they they, they might have just been, they might have been right, too. And so in that moment, like now that I'm hearing you say this, it feels as if, you know, there's kind of like a, a code of honor, if you will, between doctors, kind of like there is with like cops or in a fraternity or with your teammates. You know, it's, oh, yeah, they're right. They're more than likely right. Uh, And what I'm hearing in this and what's coming up for me is the original person didn't want to deliver you a diagnosis and the second person didn't want to uh, discredit medicine or the practitioner. So it was kind of like this like reflex to agree with that person, because I don't know that if something is herpes, I don't think I've ever even heard of that, that, that word that you said that they uh, tried to diagnose you with. So it's like, where did that even come from? And people are diagnosed with herpes so consistently that, you know, did they just not want to deal with how you may have responded on the spot? And that's why they just kind of sent you home with what that was. Did they even talk to you about sex? These are all questions that are coming up in my mind because that doesn't seem like something that should have been missed. Yeah, I, I've done so much. Believe it or not, Courtney, Philadelphia has a great educational um, a great educational system. Like we were educated very well on sexually transmitted diseases growing up. I knew about herpes my whole life. Um, as as my sexual life progressed throughout the years, um, you know, I just never believed it. I never believed I would I would contract the virus. You know, I knew it was prevalent. I knew it was common. Um, I just didn't want to believe that it would happen to me. So that was kind of the mindset. So with doctors, like, for instance, when I went into Planned Parenthood, she had said, you know, I don't believe this is herpes because people with herpes tend to come in here with extreme pain. Like, that's what she said. It was like more like she's rating this on how much pain I'm in. And it was almost it's not that she dismissed me. She she looked at it. She didn't believe it looked like herpes, you know, and and. um, So I just took her advice on it. You know, I, I wanted to believe that it was true. No one wants no one wants a an incurable virus, you know. And uh but in my gut, it's almost like always in your gut, you know. You know your body, you know what it looks like, you know what the symptoms are. And and I continued to fish until I got 
the correct answer, yeah. you know? And um, I don't know why someone would do that, um, but I guess just wanting the truth of the matter and wanting clarity on my condition. And yeah, I got it. So what made you not go directly to your primary care physician? I'm just curious. Um, it's, I, I, it's in a, it's in Montgomery, it's in a different County. So, uh, I've been living in a therapeutic community probably around 50 minutes away from my primary. Um, you know, I'm in recovery. I've been in recovery now for almost two years in this therapeutic community with, I live with 50 men at any given time throughout different apartments in an area of Chester. And yeah, so I knew that Jefferson uh, Health in Philadelphia, it's like the best doctors. You know, I have great health care. I'm very fortunate. And I knew that I, if I went there with the symptoms present on my body, um, they, there would be no misdiagnosis. So I just went up there and got it done. Okay. Um, I'm curious about, you know, thank you for sharing your herpes experience, but like more so about, you know, you and how your journey in recovery is going for you, because I think there could be some lessons there for people who might be listening. Like I I say that how this podcast started was probably 90% about herpes and then 10% about the person. So like, this is a really good space for me to just sort of like learn more about your journey, I guess that led you up to this point. And then like how you've been healing you know, the non-herpes related stuff in your life, because there could be some potential parallels there. So you mentioned being an addict, you're in recovery, you live in a recovery home or recovery community. Uh, Can you speak to that as a whole, like whatever that journey is, however you feel most comfortable sharing? Yeah, for sure, Courtney. Um, Yeah, I picked up at age 13, um, I used daily for over a decade. Um, use what? Uh, oh, it started off with, uh, a marijuana okay. and then I progressed to, um, um, benzodiazepine, alcohol came and, um, and then eventually cocaine and then, uh, cocaine progressed, uh, after a relapse, I, I finally landed a seat in recovery in 2017 um but then there was a relapse after almost two years and what came up in my relapse was love addiction oh my Um, god this is only the second time i've heard that word the first one was uh was it vic mensa i think vic mensa had a podcast talking about love addiction and i I, i'm I'm gonna look for that and i'll link it in the uh in the show notes here too. And I can send it to you if you're interested in checking it out and let me know like how real that is. Cause I, I, I I have that in my head for perspective, but I just hadn't heard anyone else say love addiction. Yeah. Love and sex addiction. It's a real addictive behavior that causes, um, uh, there's, there's really only one, uh, one word to put it, uh, that could be traumatic in someone's um, psyche and someone's spirit. And, uh, yeah, I always knew about sex and love addiction, um, all these different addictions around that area of life. Um, 
it was like uh, it, it comes with my alcoholism. It comes with my addiction. And uh, there was a bad mental breakdown. Um, it was probably the first time in 2018, 19, where I just completely went off the railings. And, uh, you know, my whole life kind of <laughs> fell apart. Everything. Sobriety, career, tons of financial debt, acting out. And um, it took a long time to get back. It was very traumatic. So I, I, I want to share that because when this happened, when this diagnosis happened, the same wave of anxiety came and I could identify it. I could identify the trauma. You know, I could identify that crippling feeling. It's almost like uh, debilitating where you can't move. Like when I was diagnosed, um, and still to this day about, Almost you know, coming up on 30 days later, I wake up in uh, with these panic attacks and uh, the anxiety just riddles my body and my nerves are shot and it's hard to focus. And and I and with my experience, I identify it right away. I'm like, here it comes. Like this is the trauma that I've endured before. And um, I try to be uh, as proactive as I can to not spiral out of control. What does that proactive approach look like for you? Yeah, so in recovery, so what I'm learning about HSV, I, I always knew that you talk about it so much. On the Your podcast is like extraordinarily like, it's incredible, man. And uh, I always knew about the stigma. Um, recently, I've been disclosing, um, I've been letting everyone in my because they knew something was wrong with me. The men in my house, um, one day I was just so helpful and bright and things are going great. And to my roommate, you know, in a feeling check saying, join, like you were reading with me every night and then something has happened to you. I don't know what it is, but it's very clear you're, you're distraught. Please talk to me. Please tell me what it is. And, um, yeah, you can't hide something like this. It's not, I don't know how people do, um, but for me, it just takes the, it took the life out of me. And uh, I just started disclosing it with my peers. And it was like a, it was like a slip. It's like, you're not sure what to do. It's like, damn, do I keep this to myself and go through this misery? Or do I uh, immediately break any stigma I have in the back of my mind and let all my peers know what's going on with me and I just went for it I'm sharing it openly in a group setting to all my peers like hey man I was diagnosed with genital herpes and I'm, I'm going through a very rough time emotionally and psychologically so um, yeah and just letting people know the truth and it's been empowering it's been helpful um, they treat me the same way they're supportive um, and then of course, psychiatry, you know, I had to, I went right away and I got put on, um, medications I used to use for the anxiety and it's been helpful. Um, therapy, trauma therapy, it started it right away. Um, and it's interesting, like I have a grand sponsor and I, sh and I shared it with him and he said, Oh, I have it too. 
been living with it for 20 years or 30 years. <laughs> and uh, he said, I need you to go to the next men's meeting and uh, share about it openly on the floor. And I'm like, what are these directions? What are these instructions? Why am I doing that? Why would I do that? And it, it, he texted me. He said, either either get humble or be humiliated. You know, and um, it's interesting when I started to disclose immediately, um, people started uh, sharing their diagnosis and uh, with me. So now I'm, I'm, I'm growing in numbers now. I needed to write down, get humble or be humiliated on my fist so I didn't lose it. Uh, thank you. you. You answered a lot of the questions that I was going to ask next, which was how was it received? Um, I, oh, the medication. So you are in recovery and now you are given medications. Are these medications things that potentially could be something that uh, cause you to relapse or you can get addicted to? No, these aren't considered. Um, I'm on a I'm on a anti anxiety medication called Seroquel. Um, no, no real addictive qualities to the drug. You get it through psychiatry. It's approved through my therapeutic community. Um, in recovery, if anyone really truly knows the nature of recovery, you know our literature tells us to seek outside help for for mental health uh, issues. Um, but yeah, we stay away from, uh, heavy duty drugs, you know, benzodiazepine, um, uh, opioids, mm-hmm. you know, all these different things that are, you know, that could be life threatening and cause a lot of, you know, harm. But with Seroquel, it's, uh, it's, it's for me with my, my breakdowns and the trauma I endured, um, Going into psychiatric wards, um, this this drug has helped me uh, stay calm, and um, it's not something it's something I was on when I first came back in the recovery. But because I was getting well, you know, I'm getting well, things are coming back, the mind, the body, the spirit, and I just weaned off of everything. You know, I, I learned that wow, like I got to a point where I didn't need medication, and as soon as the anxiety I got riddled with the anxiety from my diagnosis. It it was crippling me. Like I noticed it right away. I couldn't wake up. I couldn't focus. Um, Panic attacks. Um, It's gnarly, man. It's really gnarly. So um, it's helped me over the last uh, week. I've only been back on it for a week. It's helped me um, process it with um, less anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are in a community of people where there seems to be like a culture of healing. Uh, it's supported. It's super. Um, it, it sounds like in your disclosing, you received a significant amount of validation as well. And I try to speak to people regularly to tell people, like tell the people who know you don't come to me, a complete stranger and think that venting to me and receiving validation from me is going to fulfill the the void of just knowing that you are who you were 10 minutes before you got your herpes diagnosis or before those first symptoms showed up. And so 
I want to know from you what has been the difference between you not telling anyone and then you making the decision to tell your grand sponsor. And I want to know, like, what did you expect from telling people? And then what did you get from telling people? Connection. Um, It's such a good question because... um, what I've learned, you know, there are other players involved in this, you know, there are, there were two women involved in this. And, um, I don't believe our approach on healing from this is the same. It's not. Um, I, and I, I know that that's just human nature. When people get diagnosed with HSV, they don't, that's not their first instinct. The first instinct is uh, a fear, a fear of judgment. And, um, a fear of being separated from other human beings. And uh, I know what that feels like, 100%, because I was diagnosed. And these are the fears that start running the mind. And, um, but with what I've learned on my journey is, man, those fears can kill me, man. So, you know, uh, I can't live with the fears. It's, uh, they have to be, they have to be um, treated. My fears have to be treated with uh, connection. And uh, mm. uh, I know you want to say more, but I think this is a. I, I kind of need a clarification here. Uh, when I hear connection, uh, I, it, it resonates with me. Like I feel like a little bit of a chill activating my central nervous system saying, hey, lean into that a little bit more. So what's speaking to me right now is how we can go about looking for connection. On one hand, it can be an unhealthy way through coping. We can think of sex as co- uh, connection, or we can look at the absence of sex and feeling like we're disconnected, or we can take a uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Like a platonic, intimate approach to connection and feeling connected to. So you could see other people on social media who look like you, who are also uh, struggling with the same thing that you're struggling with and feel connected to. This leads to people going to the herpes support groups and either having a positive experience or a negative experience. And then that feeling connected to the connection that you feel just being around people who are like you can also shape how you feel about being around people like you. So an example being going to a herpes support group where you see people are sharing, oh my God, I was just diagnosed with herpes. This is the worst thing. I want to kill myself. You know, you get there and you're like, yay, there are so many other people with herpes. And then you're like, oh shit, people are either validating your negative feelings with more negative feelings or you might experience an invalidation because you think to yourself okay i'll be okay i just need to find other people who have it and then you see that there are people who are absolutely miserable so i i give all of that background because i want to ask you now like how you went about feeling connected to as a way of healing not coping meant leaning into more of your platonic relationships going to the support and communities that are around you is that accurate yeah that's just that's just the way we're taught in recovery we're taught that the power is within the group you know um 
it's spirituality. It's uh, believing in the spirit of the universe to heal you, but without other human beings in connection, man, it, it's almost like an impossible task. So, um, I've had so many intrusive thoughts on this from every angle, Courtney, of how to accept this. Um, the grieving process, bargaining with the internet, Courtney, like, where's the cure, man? Like, you know, I've, I'm obsessive in nature, so I've been on the internet for hours on end over the last four or five weeks. It's, um, and um, just this grieving process. And, and then in the grand scheme of things, Courtney, I feel like the only way to truly heal from this is um, to grieve. Like you had someone come on your podcast and he was, he was great. He was talking about like not pushing someone to say, oh, it's just this. Like trying to tell people how to grieve. Like people have to grieve in their own right, whether it take a month, two months, a couple of years. Everyone has to grieve uh, the way that they must. And, um, yeah, I'm trying to figure out, you know, through my grieving process, how to get to a new level of acceptance. And um, I believe I believe it'll come if I'm willing to put the work in and get connected and do things that I don't want to do. Like, people don't want to heal from it. They, they, they kind of just, they rather try to deny it or... or act like it's not real or but for me um it's very real and um i'm on a you know i'm on a new path to um finding this new network that i never had to dive into (laughs) you know you don't have to dive into something until you need to and uh yeah so i i hope i hope with um finding um other people who can relate to me who understand what being newly diagnosed feels like emotionally and psychologically and um, picking their brain and and doing my best every day to get well. Yeah. Do you have a working definition for what grief is in this moment, like off the top of your head? Yeah. You're heartbroken, man. Your heart breaks. It's your heart really does break, man, and it, it shatters you. And um, yeah, it it causes you to cry. It causes you to cry wholeheartedly from the bottom of your heart, man. I've I've done that several times since my diagnosis. Um, and. Uh, now there's like new responsibility. You think it, it's because I loved loose sex my whole life. I never, I never had to have uh, responsible conversations around my sex life, and this is just a new responsibility. And you talk with these people about because that comes into your mind the future. It's the fears of the future. It's um, and and all these people on your podcast talk about the things that we think about newly diagnosed. And, um, yeah, also, there's so much to talk to you about, Courtney. Like, my whole life, you were talking about it on your podcast and a lot of the episodes about our screenings. I knew, Courtney, my whole life since I was just a buck that HSV was never included in my routine screenings. I knew that. I'm not an idiot, you know, but... 
it's that psychological um, component where I'd rather not know, brother. <laughs> like, so, you know, chlamydia, uh, gonorrhea, trick, uh, syphilis, and HSV, uh, HIV come back all negative. But in the back of your mind, you're like, yeah, there was no herpes test. Those, but, yeah, those negative test results are so validating. And, right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I speak often to how our sexuality and our identity are so interconnected. So think about that. When you receive a clean bill of health or a clean STI status, you're like, hell yeah, I'm doing I'm doing good. I'm doing right. You know, unless you had a scare, then maybe you're like, phew, maybe I need to be a little more careful. But that's that's it. Uh, I want to touch back on the the grief. Why are there four ants? Like, they look like they're talking to each other. I'm about to spray some vinegar. Hold on. Yeah, communicate this. Communicate this. Don't be here. Yeah. Get out of here. Okay. Um, The grief thing. I have always looked at grief as a way of, uh, like, you had to, someone had to die. Someone had to die in order for me to grieve. And... That is not at all exclusively what grief is. I even just listened to this podcast on grief and I learned about just how complex it really is because you not only grieve the loss of a person in, you know, physically, like if they die, but if a relationship ends and then you grieve the loss of that person, you grieve the loss of the person that you were in proximity to them, who you now, uh, who you thought you would be in the future. You have to grieve the aspect of yourself that was kind of taken away. You have to also grieve the fact that there is going to be an un, uh, an undeveloping process and now has to take place because you saw yourself in a light in relation to this person and then bam that light's gone and now you're in the darkness and now you're like oh my god who am i like what what is this oh my god i don't know i just don't know i don't know um and so few people understand this as a grieving process for those reasons we now have to unlearn we have to relearn we have to establish a new type of a connection with ourselves and you spoke to that word connection right think about how we connect think about who we're connected to and why we connect we are often so hyper focused on our connections to other people and now like looking at our ability or inability to connect in the way that we're used to connecting being sex and we overlook what our connection is to ourselves. So I just wanted to really drive that point home and speak to grief as a a, a non-linear thing. It's very complex. And to be honest, it probably looks more like if you were to grab some uh, spaghetti noodles from the pot, like after the pot's cooled a little bit and just fucking throw it on the floor, Like, that's what grief looks like. It it looks like untangling those spaghetti noodles, right? It's not just one noodle out. Oh, this person died, so let me smooth this out. It is ugly. It is nasty. It is gross. And it gets to a point where the process becomes 
more observable, but that doesn't make it any more clean. So I'm, I'm, I'm sharing this here because I don't want people to think that, oh, I'm not grieving because no one died. Yes, like there is an ongoing death that occurs of your ego and your sexuality, the relationship that you may have gotten it from, your relationship even to your friends now, because in proximity to the people around you, now you're going to maybe be a little bit different when you go out with your friends and they're like, oh, that hot person is looking at you. Uh, let's let's call them over here. And now you're immediately like, oh, my God, what if I have to tell them I have herpes? I don't want to have to tell my friends I have herpes. It affects us in so many ways when we ignore it, especially. So drawing awareness to not just what we're feeling, but also like what the grieving process is, what grief is, that is going to support us tremendously through our healing process. So we got to go through the grief in order to heal. That that was more than what I was trying to say, but uh, hopefully that drove a little bit of the point home. Yeah, it absolutely did. Yeah, and um, what I what I from my experience with this, it's like the last time I had a traumatic breakdown it took several years man to to grieve and uh you know that's a lot of time you know you can't focus you can't work you can't focus on your goals you're not happy you feel no joy um and with having experience with trauma from the past and identifying exactly what this is i could be and and having my sobriety back i could i could maybe um, learn how to grieve maybe more effectively or efficiently and um, so that I don't I don't lose a lot of time um, in getting my joy back and um, that's the that's the only you know the, the I've, I've been trying to think about this like because uh, I don't want to be stuck you know you can't you can't stay stuck you have to put the work in. And for me, that's honestly listening to your podcast, therapy, um, psychiatric help, um, stay involved in my in my, my recovery group uh, with regards to alcoholism and addiction, um, and pray that uh, I'll get through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned prayer a few times. You mentioned spirituality. Do you find that? that grounds you in a way or like what what does um having a spiritual connection or practice do for you uh throughout this process yeah it's a, it's an overall lack it's it the only reason why i wouldn't want to confront this as soon as i'm diagnosed is a lack of humility it's a lack of it's a it's it's all ego and pride and um there's a lack of vulnerability. It comes down to spirituality. It comes down to like a foot, like it's like a having body armor and it says humility all over it. You become like bulletproof to other people's opinions because you're just so filled with humility. And, um, it's hard to humble yourself. It really is. Um, but what I'm, what I'm trying to get out of this and, Disclosing this like openly to a lot of men is just trying to gain in humility so that I could find peace and um, 
I hear, um, I hear you say disclosing to men, disclosing to the men around you, uh, that process is that different than disclosing to women? And then if so, how? Because you're, you're heterosexual um, and you're someone who has a community around you of men. So you are checking in with these men and disclosing to them and talking to them. Uh, how is this different than disclosing to women? And what do you get out of it uh, that's different? Well, yeah, I was at my home group the one day, um, Courtney, and one of the female home group members knows me very well, and she knew something was definitely seriously wrong with me, and she told me to come to her just to, and she said straight up, like, Julian, what is wrong with you? And I disclosed it right to her, you know, very simple and and the most humiliating or in a way of trying to be humble, I said, you know, I, I was diagnosed with genital herpes and it's taking a huge toll on my emotional health and my psychological health and I don't feel well. And, and it's, it's so crazy how God works. It's like, she's like, okay. And like, you know, I'm crying and she's holding me, you know, just like that, that pain is just coming out of you through your tears. Like, cause it's so painful, man. And, um, and she said, it's okay, Julian. Um, I was diagnosed last year. <laughs> and uh, it's just, and she had later said, like we talked on the phone, she said, Julian, I don't think I've told anyone that except, you know, my immediate, you know, her significant other or another person in her life. She was like, you're the only other person I was able to say that to. So what I'm learning is when you're vulnerable, in very vulnerable situations, people are like, oh, wow, like, if he can do it, I can too, you know? And I think that's just the, I just think that's the solution. The only way to help yourself is to help other people, man. You do it. It's the only way, you know? And it's just another opportunity for me to help other people. It's just, I can't see any other way around the, uh, living a good life with this. <laughs> I hear that um, the only way to help, well, not the only way, but one way to help yourself is through helping other people. Um, I've heard that on a few different podcast episodes and guests. And I'm wondering, like, is helping other people in your mind Something as simple as sharing this podcast or being on this podcast or uh, what what does that look like to you? Is it just sharing your story? Like, how do you feel like you are able to help other people? Yeah, it's, it's almost like the responsi- responsibility pledge. Like, I'm responsible for anyone, anywhere reaching out for help. I'm responsible for that now. And... Uh, that's just the way we're trained in recovery. We're trained to give our time freely. And um, through that, you find peace. And through that, you find comfort. And you find purpose. You know, like, um, I feel like, it's for me, it's my, own, my only solution with this, with the way that it has, it has hindered my growth 
uh, with my psychological health is to say, okay, um, give yourself the time you need to grieve, but there's responsibility when you're coming out of it with your acceptance. It's a, it's to anyone that is struggling. You have to, you have to be willing to go to them, call them, be there with them face to face, um, and help people through it. Because I, I, I've noticed how it could cause suicide. It could cause complete mental breakdowns. Because it did, it did for me. There was suicidal ideation throughout my thought process. Like, I can't do this, God. Like, after everything we've been through together, like, like I, I, I just don't think I have the strength to do this. And, uh, and then I heard someone say recently, like, Julian, man, God gives his, his hardest battles to his strongest soldiers. And I'm just like, man, I'm not this strong, man. I, you know, you, you, you doubt it. You doubt the power of getting through it. You know? Your support, your community, they have absolutely given you strength. They've given you validation to your identity. Like the people that you've disclosed to haven't been mean to you. It doesn't sound like they treated or looked at you any different than you are. And I know that people are deathly afraid of another person knowing that they received a herpes diagnosis. And and my theory is that people are afraid because they're afraid of how people view them from their sexual identity. And what I'm hearing here is that the insignificance of how a person views you sexually, especially people who you're not having sex with, the incons- or uh, if you are or aren't, like that is insignificant in comparison to being able to share with folks that you are going through a hard time, this is what you're struggling with and then be able to receive that quality of validation that you are who you are and that you are no different than who you were aside from whatever was going on with sex. And like, that's a message that I'm getting here. There's out, there's a lot, <laughs> but uh, people are so afraid. People are in fact afraid of telling people. And it's like, you can live in fear, not knowing the support that you can get or you can, you know, just go through that one time through the process of telling someone and then welcome in the the love, the connection, the validation that you are still who you were prior to your diagnosis from the people around you. And I just don't I don't see people having that. I guess the safety or affirmation or the uh, background experience in having positive encounters with the people that they should be having positive encounters with for sharing something so vulnerable. It's, it's, yeah, I, I look at the numbers Courtney, 600 million people at least. That's more people than uh, than 
the, the population of the United States. That's like saying every single American, if you put everyone together, has a HSV2. That's a lot of people, man. And and you look online and you're like, there's like only 5,000 people like in a group. And I'm like, dude, like there's hundreds of millions of people. And uh, you would think that the communities and the support groups would be much larger than they are. Um, I, I think I can speak to that. Uh, I believe that most people, when diagnosed with herpes, they're they're okay. Like they're already in relationships or they've chosen to deal with it the way that they've chosen to deal with it. Um, and you also have the people who are diagnosed, like when they're newly diagnosed, they get obsessive with finding the resources and the people and the information. And then they just kind of go on about their business. So it's like an immersion type thing. Like you immerse yourself in the healing, you immerse yourself in uh, the seeking of support resources and support groups. And then you get out, like you get in, you get what you need and then you go. So that's why I think that the groups kind of hover around certain numbers because people just get to a point of realizing that they don't need those resources anymore. And what they really need is like what you're sharing is useful. Um, And I hope that this podcast serves as uh, a touch point, like immediately when people are diagnosed and they search for herpes information, they find this and then they learn just how much of the healing has absolutely nothing to do with herpes <laughs> so that they can get those resources because they're abundant everywhere. Everyone's like, why aren't people talking about herpes? Why isn't there a resource or why aren't there more resources or more people talking about herpes? People are talking about the things that underlie our responses, our behaviors, our feelings, our thoughts about herpes through speaking to vulnerabilities and emotions and the healing process. It's really hard for us to wrap our heads around it because of like how complex it is. It is super complex to take your brain away from, okay, this sore lesion bump on my genitals and then making the connection of that to so much about your behavior, about your identity, and then beginning to deconstruct that. Because then you got to look at childhood trauma. You got to look at your most recent trauma. You got to look at your relationship trauma. And looking at hard things is hard. Don't nobody want to do that shit. I do it every day and I don't want to do that shit. (laughs) But it is so, the harder it is, the more rewarding it is. Like I can't imagine where I'd be right now if I didn't look at those things like I would be unhappy and not even be able to pinpoint or put a finger on why I'm as unhappy as I am. So I I encourage people, man, if you're hearing this, if you're listening to it, like I want for you to challenge that belief that you have about not being able to uh, disclose your status or whatever it is, like challenge that and yeah, like let's 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 get in the process of finding a healing, healthy community. I'm working to um, put things like that together to where people can get the resources that may not necessarily have anything to do with herpes, but send you on a path to where if you apply these things to herpes or anything else in your life, you'll begin to experience that healing. Um, Julian, we are coming up, you know, on the end of our time together. So I want to ask you if there's anything else that you feel like is important that you want to share with the something positive for positive people audience. Um, 
if there's any resources that you have available that are helpful or just even if you want to share like you know what your hope is for someone who's listening to this who's newly diagnosed yeah i know yeah thank you courtney um yeah i believe uh time is a great healer um i from my experience with trauma it, it gets easier with time as long as you are um taking action on um working on what it is that causes you trauma um you have to you have to really take care of yourself like for me there were two other women involved in this situation and um, i'm battling with being there um for just one of them she's the one that you know i'm engaging in a relationship with and it's hard to be there for her um because uh, i I'm, I'm not that emotionally available so i i'm trying to balance out with being supportive towards her um but making sure that my needs are getting met as well because you know you can't you have to there has you have to take care of yourself and you know she's taking it differently than i am uh for me, I believe it's it's more severe on my emotional and, and my psychological well-being than her. Um, but who knows? Um, but you have to. That, that was the that was the the request from 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 the professionals trying to help me is that Julian needs to take care of Julian. And mm-hmm. as selfish as that may seem, um, I, I struggle with that right now. And. Um, yeah, maybe I'll come back on in a year and, and I could tell you what it what that year was like for me, Courtney. And um, I thank you so much, brother, for what you do. It is actually is absolutely extraordinary, brother. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. Thank you for having your story, for sharing your story, for reaching out and the vulnerability and the bravery that you have demonstrated here in your share with myself and whoever else it is that comes across this podcast episode. I am about to kill a significant number of beings that are just in my room. There's a line. So I don't eat in my room. I don't bring food in my room. Mm, Fuck. I had COVID a few weeks ago. And I ate in my room. There's probably like a grain of rice or crumbs under my laundry basket or there's crumbs on my clothes somewhere in this laundry basket because like I'm watching what these ants are doing. You saw me walk away from the screen a few times and I'm like, where are they going? Where are they coming from? And they're like going from my laundry basket to the window. And it's like three or four and they walk, they touch each other or some shit. And then they like go in the line. So there's about to be an ant massacre in my bedroom. And uh, yeah, I'm. I, it's, it's also getting hot outside. So maybe that's got something to do with it. But I'm sitting here and I'm looking at my laundry bags. I'm like, I don't eat in here. I don't bring food in here. What is happening? But they're only in this area. So I got my little vinegar mix because ants hate vinegar and they, they like run away from it or something. But I I am fully prepared for what's about to happen here. That has absolutely nothing to do with anything. Uh, but <laughs> anyways, yeah, thanks again, my man. And um, 
You can stay on and we'll chat for a little bit afterwards, but I'll go ahead and close this out. That concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, subscribe to, and share this podcast on whatever platform you listen to or it on. Uh, I have not gotten reviews lately, and I know it, at least 300 of y'all listen within the first day of the podcast going live. So um, if y'all could give some reviews, I think that would be super helpful to you, boy, and help other people be able to find this resource significantly sooner. I mentioned at the beginning a lot of what we're doing. There's still the offering of therapy. Uh, I don't think I mentioned that um, the yoga classes, they're up online, and I'm, I'm managing my time to get back into posting the yoga videos pretty regularly, but uh, there's uh, therapy being offered. Um, I talk to everybody, so I'm getting donations for like coaching. I think people are being funny because they know how I feel about that. Uh, but I don't, I don't like to you know, offer coaching at least for a price. Like I just listen to people, ask them questions, and guide them in the direction of being able to continue to do whatever it is that they're doing on their own and uh, explore the healing process with the options that are available to them, and then make the best choice that um, you can make for yourself. So, uh, yeah, if you feel compelled to donate, please do so uh, at Courtney Brain on Venmo or Cash App, as well as PayPal at SPFPP. Um, one of the things that I'm working on doing, we just got funding uh, to produce 12 podcast episodes specifically for the state of Oregon um, to just identify and start to track what some of the themes are and reoccurrences of or the commonalities of people who test positive for any STI and kind of what their process is moving forward. So I'm directly using this to challenge the CDC's thing, saying that behavior doesn't change after an STI diagnosis because it does. And we know that because we're here and we're listening to this and we know what our experiences have been. So the more people who share, the more backing I get for when I'm finally able to connect with someone at the CDC and be like, yo, this is what's going on help me like resolve this and create an intervention. All right. Uh, I'll link to the love addiction podcast. And then there's a grief podcast uh, episode that I'll find and put into the show notes as well. And uh, yeah, if you need anything, don't hesitate to reach out till next time. Stay sex positive.